You're listening to STEM Essential, an Iowa Governor's STEM Advisory Council podcast. Hear from leading advocates and voices about why STEM education is crucial for our world today and tomorrow. Welcome, everybody, to Series 2 of STEM Essentials, podcasts featuring some of Iowa's and our nation's leading thinkers in STEM. This series is all about STEM jobs of the future. I'm Jeff Weld, Director of Iowa STEM Council, an economic development initiative where education and economic development merge to improve lives and communities. The people we're hearing from are edunomic developers. They commingle jobs with learning. Today featuring Gabe Glenn, co-founder and chief executive officer of Make You Safe, an Iowa company with the mission to make the world safer through technology and data. He is also a recent appointee of Governor Reynolds to the Governor's STEM Advisory Council. Gabe is also founder and host for a popular podcast series spanning more than four years, focused on advanced manufacturing, mostly here in Iowa, featuring familiar leaders from Sukup Manufacturing, Agri-Industrial Plastics, Rocket Manufacturing, and many more. So the pressure is on me. Welcome to our STEM Council, Gabe, and to Episode 5 of STEM Jobs of the Future. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Honored to be on and really excited to talk STEM. That's one of my favorite topics and just really honored to be a part of the council and to be on with you today. Thank you. Wonderful. That makes two of us. That makes hundreds of us if we include our listeners. (laughs) So speaking of our listeners, I know they'd like to start by getting to know you a little bit better, uh, your own personal journey. So just to to queue up uh, your response, a window into your world, I'll consider you a pinnacle of your community. I know you happen to be that and a leader of a vibrant and a good doing company. So what significant events or influences stand out for you in terms of defining moments that charted your path to where you are? Well, first of all, I'm an Iowa guy through and through. I grew up in Cedar Rapids and I was the son of a a machinist who worked third shift, Uh, went into work every night as, as we were going to bed and woke us up in the morning for school. And then uh, for about the last 20 years, he he served as a safety manager uh, at a facility over there in Cedar Rapids, had more than a thousand employees he was responsible for the safety for. So you can kind of already see the the common thread there on the safety side of things. But, uh, and and interestingly too, um, I just found this out last year, Jeff, my my grandmother um, who's still alive, she's in her nineties, wrote an article uh, in the Cedar Rapids Gazette commemorating the 100-year anniversary of the Douglas Starchworks factory explosion, uh, which was a factory in Cedar Rapids that, that as the title would state, you know, unfortunately exploded, and, and there was a, a significant loss of life of the workers. It turned out my great-grandfather was an employee at that factory and had just walked out of the factory to go have dinner with my great-grandmother when that happened, or I wouldn't be on this podcast with you today. Uh, had he not decided to take that opportunity to go have dinner uh, with his wife that night. So there's a little bit of a kind of a full circle thing here with uh, with Make You Safe and the technology, but really about uh, probably about 12 or 13 years ago, I decided to leave a corporate retail um, job with Target Corporation and start my first business. Uh, like many others, fumbled my way through the first few years trying to figure out how to manage a business, made lots of mistakes. Um, yeah, you know, and uh, and just kind of learned my way through that, and 
that just kind of bounced around through different things. It was uh, a business that kind of worked in the insurance space, and then that translated into some web technology stuff. And then later, I, I merged with a, a, a website building company in Ankeny, and we later sold that in 2015 to another software company. And and now here I am making wearable devices for, for safety technology. So I don't know that I can point to something and say, well, this is a logical journey, Jeff, of, of how I ended up here. As you know, there's just a, a lot of um, you know God's plan in all of it. And you just never know where each day is going to take you and who is going to be put in your path. <laughs> well, the one definitive incident you can point to is that lunch date taken by your great-grandfather to... Uh, avoid an explosion, tragic experience there at the plant. But uh, here you are. Yeah. yeah it's it's, it's kind of neat, you know, uh, the, the podcast you mentioned. A, a big part of why I wanted to, to do that was, I like many others here in Iowa, um, I don't think I appreciated or realized uh, the creativity, uh, the manufacturing that goes on in every small town in Iowa. There's over 6,000 manufacturing companies right here in our state. Mm. Most people would be blown away to, to hear that, right? And companies doing everything from, you know, high-tech automated, you know, grain handling systems to uh, uh, cricket farming, making protein out of, out of crickets. Mm. Um, there's just such a diverse group of, of companies here. And many of them have been around for a hundred plus years. And, and I just really wanted to hear those stories and hear how, how did these companies reinvent themselves over a hundred years to maintain being a relevant company uh, and doing the things that they're doing today. So uh, just again, you know, a passion for that, uh, the technology side of things, for uh, the things that are happening right here in our backyard that are interesting and, and right under people's noses. Well, I hope that uh, the other 5,080 or so Iowa manufacturers are on your list for future podcasts as you, I think you've uh, quieted that for a period here, but hopefully you restart that advanced manufacturing podcast yourself. Yeah, I've got a couple of episodes still uh, that I had recorded that I'm, that I'm sitting on. And I think my favorite was uh, uh, getting a chance to go uh, fly around the country on GE's corporate jet. Uh, visiting a handful of locations that they took us to, their new jet engine facility, their locomotive manufacturing, um, remanufacturing facility, um, the robotics facility in Detroit. We had dinner at the Henry Ford Museum mm. um, with, with some of the leadership there at GE. And then I, I got a chance to sit down with Jeff Immelt, um, you know, just before his retirement from, from General Electric, which was a really cool experience for just a ho hobby podcast on manufacturing. No doubt. I'm sure our listeners look forward to geeking out with you on your <laughs> podcast. So take us uh, to one of those 6,000 Iowa companies being yours, Make You Safe. Give us a quick overview of how it got started and how would you characterize the company today? Well, I, I was out touring, um, actually, uh, manufacturing facilities for the podcast. And I, I happened to be at a facility that was uh, being audited by OSHA because their employees were experiencing hearing loss. And that was my first exposure to, uh, pardon the pun, first exposure to, to understanding that things in the environment um, not only impact workers, right, which is logical and makes sense, which, which I would have assumed, I didn't realize how much these things are governed by law, right? That's not just sound exposure and what you're allowed to expose an employee to from a sound standpoint, but, you know, temperature and lighting and air quality and all of these things have... Um, have requirements around them. And the employer is responsible for making sure that employees have a, 
a, a healthy and safe workplace environment. And I, I got a chance to go through that audit process um, with, the, with the company I was visiting and with the, the folks from OSHA. And I, I had this burning thought that there has to be a better way, right? Everything that they're doing is, is all reactive, right? Bad things are happening. People are losing their hearing. People are getting hurt. Let's try to piece together why, why that's happening. And I thought, you know, much like meteorologists forecast bad weather today, why couldn't we gather enough data that we begin to understand when risk is starting to present itself? And then we can, you know, see where those dominoes are starting to fall and we can get in and we can prevent something from happening, right? Be, be more proactive in it because it's, it's not typically just one thing, right? It's not wind that creates a tornado. It's not just temperature that creates a tornado. It's this confluence of these factors, right? And that same thing is present in a, in a work site where employees at an individual level are exposed to a very uh, vastly different environment than their coworkers. And, we, and so we needed to do it from on a worker, right? Because Jeff, if you and I are working five feet from each other, but there's a, a press break in front of us, right? That, that machine, the, the way the sound comes off of that is gonna expose me differently than it's going to expose you, right? And so we knew that we needed to get something on a worker that would allow us to gather the information about their their personal environment, what's going on around them individually, and uh, and of course we're producing millions and millions and millions of data points, and and nobody can make sense of those. So uh, let's employ machine learning, right, uh, a form of artificial intelligence to to process this data and begin to to tease out what are those magic confluences, and then and then what were the building blocks that led up to that, and so that's what we've been working on for the last. Uh, four and a half years. Love it. So you've you've uh, made clear why this podcast matters. It's about workplace safety. It's about the economy. You mentioned six thousand Iowa companies and the economic engine that they represent. But let me put a fine point on it by asking you this: This episode, as you know, caps a five-part series titled "STEM Jobs of the Future," and we've heard from leaders in workforce development, higher education the student experience, a manufacturing president, um, all of whom have uh, brought this topic to listeners. But to cap it all off, Gabe, we have such a broad swath of listeners. Obviously, we're going to have some teachers and and professors and, and parents and business professionals, nonprofit heads, policymakers, maybe some students. What would you say to them? What's in it for them? Uh, to understand what lies in store for STEM jobs of the future. To those who are listening and saying, I wonder if I want to hear this. I wonder if it matters. What do you say? You know, we're in, we're in such a rapidly evolving time, right? With, with technology, with IoT, right? That's, that's the area we play in. But beyond that, you've got automation, you've got robotics, you've got data, you've got artificial intelligence. Um, all of these things are going to make lives of, of workers better. It will, it'll require more skills, right? They're gonna have to do it's, it's There's gonna be less swinging of the hammer over and over and over again, less taking of the part and screwing it on and then you know doing that you know, 300 times in a day. There's gonna be less of that because you know, thankfully we're developing technology that, that, that can overcome some of those physical things. But we need people to design, engineer, program, run, this kind of stuff, process the data and understand it. Today, there's still a 
pretty large disconnect between the data that's produced and what it means, what it means for the worker, right? We, we know that the jobs are going to look vastly different um, and that automation is going to change a lot of the factories as we know it. I've been in some pretty cool factories that are pretty advanced. Probably my favorite was the Tesla factory out in Fremont, California. Uh, you could eat off the floor. It was it was pristine. Um, obviously, a lot of heavy automation, as you would expect from, from an Elon Musk uh, factory. But uh, I, I think we're going to see more and more of that. But we also have to understand we're, we're in a global economy, right? And, and where we in the United States may be advancing, there, there's other places in the world where they're really not advancing, and especially at the rate that we're at, which is why today, you know, our, our mission with workplace safety more than a thousand people every single day lose their life in a workplace accident on this planet, which means we're approaching now, I think, two million workers that have died since I started this project, um, which is a heartbreaking number of empty dinner tables, right? Um, so I think there's opportunity for us to realize that that the data that we're, we're also collecting can help uh, bridge some gaps of, of where we just don't have knowledge and understanding. And I think that's where some of these jobs are going to live. And to just peel back the onion a little bit on this, Jeff, is when we think about data that's produced from an IoT device, whether it's make you safe or not, right? We're, we're producing this data. What can we learn from that that tell us how we need to affect the environment that these machines are in or that these workers are in? And eventually I see all of this automation happening where, you know, we know it. 72 degrees Fahrenheit and 61% humidity in this area of a facility, we see a 33% increase in risk of slips and falls, right? Which are a very costly accident and, and unfortunately happen a lot, right? If, if we're able to know that information, the heating and cooling system, the air handling system of that should automatically be able to remove that risk from the environment. We should never even get to that point, right? So we, we need... We need smart people to help pull all of this data together to write the algorithms that help machine learning models understand how this could be used and then help bridge those gaps between technology like ours and, and all of the other factory, you know, 4.0 or factory X.0 technology that, that's, that's happening out there. So mm -hmm. sorry for the fire hose on that. That's kind of a no, soapbox no. of mine that I just feel like there's so much that's, that we're just at the very beginning of with all of this. Exactly the message that I hope these podcasts convey. And it's an excellent cap to the series that there's this imperative of adaptation uh, at the world of work and, and, and safety and productivity. And in your case in particular, we have kind of a, a bonus in that you're an employer of STEM workers and you're also an expert by many definitions in the STEM workplace milieu especially the skilled technical workforce. So let me, let me drill into that with you. As a young CEO, I, I would consider you comparatively young to most of the CEOs Thank you. <laughs> that I have known. And, and there's a certain pressure. There's a lot of pressures that come to bear on you. And it must be such a surreal feeling, especially maybe as a younger CEO, to have employees, especially at first, when there are people uh, working for you, I don't know if that surrealness ever subsides, but you carry a, a profound responsibility to, to build a winning team, to plan and predict on behalf of this team, to adapt to ever-changing external factors, markets, jobs, technologies, 
ways of doing things on behalf of these people and their families, yourself having a young family, all these pressures of dependence on you. So I want to hear about uh, your, your views about the current STEM employee landscape here in Iowa and across the country, and maybe uh, some crystal balling that you've already begun to, to do. So first, how would you characterize this moment, 2020 pandemic or post-pandemic are both fair game regarding STEM jobs and how, how Make You Safe and, and the many other employers with whom you work, how are you all doing it at finding good STEM talent, at training them to be useful for you, and then once you've got them, how do you keep them in this uh, wildly competitive environment? It's interesting because I think if we go back to the end of 2019, before this was happening, uh, I've always been a, a big believer that, that you know, culture is incredibly important for a startup in order for a startup to be successful, right? Because like everything else, it's a makeup of, of to, your, to your point, it's a makeup of the people, right? Um, the product is important. The market that we're trying to get into is an important factor, right? That the pricing has to work and things like that. A lot of those things are are moldable. You can you can control some of those those things. Um, but but the people are the important part, right? And they're the ones that are going to drive the thought leadership. That are gonna they're going to ask the right questions of the customers, and they're going to help change and pivot the product and mold it into what people want, need, and, and, and will use. And I believe for a long time that meant you really needed to physically be there around your peers. The pandemic hits, and, and like many other companies, we said, all right, everybody needs to work remotely for a time. Incredibly challenging in the beginning because it increased communication, right? The need for communication, but just, you know, at the office, you walk into a room and there's seven people and you can have a conversation and in 30 minutes you can hash something out. But what happens is you, you know, you hop on a Zoom with one person, you talk for 30 minutes and you go, wow, that's great. Now I got to call the other person and talk to them. And you, and you find that one 30-minute conversation multiplied by seven <laughs> because you had to get a hold of all those people, right? It was just a different way um, of interacting. But it also opened up some opportunities for us as we realized that we could build a, a company culture remotely and we could interact with each other remotely and people could be successful and be productive while working in their own homes. In, in many ways, actually, even more productive. I I don't have an hour and 20 minute commute now to my office every single day. So that's another, you know, huge chunk of time for me, me to be productive. Um, but we now have an employee that the, our, our director of hardware product development lives in Omaha. We've got a mechanical engineer that lives in Colorado Springs. Um, our, our head of our software development team during the pandemic moved his family up to Minnesota to be cl closer to his family up there. Um, we still have a lot of people here in Iowa. Um, but we, and we also just recently hired a gal that lives in San Francisco. Um, and, and so you just realize that it opens up the opportunity to, to find talent in, in places. And the other thing that I think is also helpful, like for the example of our employee that, that was here in Iowa, wanted to be closer to family and moved away. We didn't lose that Iowa job, right? Because they, they wanted to go be closer to family. I can totally res respect that. I've got kids of my own. We don't have grandparents around here. That could be challenging, right? Um, so I, I think it allows us to realize that there's, there's opportunity to, um, uh, expand our talent search to, to places all over. And, um, I think it also helps 
maybe that uh, that person is thinking, hey, I want to go experience life somewhere outside of Iowa. Hopefully they still come back, right? You know, they, they go, hey, I went and experienced life in other places, but I love Iowa. I want to come back. But uh, that they that doesn't mean that they can't still work for a great Iowa company, right? And so uh, I think that's been a challenge. And the last thing I'll say is because, because we're a startup, uh, we, we try to set really clear expectations for our employees when we bring them on. It is a tremendous amount of responsibility for us as a company. They've got families. They've got bills to pay. They've got, uh, they want to put a roof over, over their head. Um, and, and we're helping provide that for them, right, through the, the wages that we pay. But the reality is, is we are a venture-backed, um, high-growth, high-pace startup. Um, and with that comes uncertainty. With that comes, um, you know, when you're funded by investors, they don't want to give you 10 years of runway out of the gate, right? They want to give you just enough to achieve what you need to achieve, make sure that you can accomplish and follow through on what you say you're going to do. Um, and, and then if you hit those milestones, then, then you can get more funding. And we've been very, very blessed that we've been able to raise over $10 million, mostly by Iowa investors and Iowa companies uh, to be able to do what we're doing. Um, but we bring, when we bring those people on, we just make it really clear that, you know, we, we, we have goals, we have a set amount of time, and we need to achieve those goals. Um, or, or unfortunately, I don't think our investors will want to continue to support us uh, the way that they have along the way. Right, right. So for all those... Uh young Iowans for whom we advocate the, the very existence of the governor's STEM council is to queue up the future talent to, uh, to hopefully be employed by people like you. So thinking of those students and their parents and their educators, this is kind of a nurture versus nature question. You, you make these hires, Gabe, and of course they've got pedigrees, they've got credentials, they've got technical know-how, all of which is clearly nurture. They got schooled and they, they got diplomaed and, and they can code or whatever those skill sets you ask of them. But what about those, those so-called affective domains, those traits that might be nature, maybe they're nurture, but what's your advice to educators and parents and especially future employees in terms of preparing themselves to be ready for, for uh, employment opportunities like yours and, and those you're familiar with? I think um, school is great at teaching the fundamentals, right? Of, you know, whether it's computer programming or whether it's uh, data analytics and things like that, right? It's about teaching the fundamentals. The people that we like to hire in those technical jobs, we oftentimes ask them, what what do you like to do on the weekends? What do you do in your free time? And the ones that tend to be the most successful and fit into our culture the most are the ones that go, well, hang on, let me pull up a project that I've been working on and show you, you know, I've been building this in my lab and I built this game, you know, for my friends or, you know what, I like to play ultimate Frisbee. And so I built this app so that we can track all of our statistics and do all the, right. It's the people that just like, 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 like yourself, Jeff, that just genuinely love this, this area of life, right. It's, it's woven into our hobbies. It's, it's woven into our family time. Um, we're always seeking to learn more and to, to gain new knowledge and to explore different areas of it than, than what we've already got expertise in. And those genuinely curious people are the ones that, that I think tend to do the best, which is why I believe you know, STEM and, and this, this council and the efforts of this council are so important because a lot of the programs and things that are available are things that will expose kids to that just building of their genuine curiosity in this space. 
and I very much so feel like weekend hobby type, you know, uh, projects and events and, and access to those kinds of things. Uh, so I'm just excited. I'm at the very beginning of my journey here with, with the STEM Council, but I'm really excited to to learn uh, and see what's going on, and then and I hopefully be able to to have some influence in some of those things as well. Fabulous. Yeah, curiosity is that uh, non-common denominator. All kids are born with it, as we well know. Uh, not all graduate high school with it. And so somewhere between <laughs> A and Z, we've got an opportunity. And I feel I share your sense that STEM presents that opportunity to maintain, nurture, and cultivate that sense of curiosity. So let's uh, let's shift to the future. Talk to us about how you anticipate jobs at Make You Safe and jobs in the manufacturing sector with whom you're so familiar changing. Uh, let's go a decade out. Let's go to 2030 or let's go to 2050. How far out do you even look and plan for that matter? What are you planning for? You know, there's still, yeah, I, I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier about the automation and, and stuff happening in, in these facilities, right? We've got uh, robotics. Um, we've got ro robot fork trucks that could drive themselves around. We've got auto vehicle automation. We've got a lot of these things happening. Um, today, a lot of those things still live in silos. They live in their, they, they produce data or they, they produce something and they, they kind of live in their own systems. Uh, there's a lot of work being done out there to, to tie things together, to take data from one thing and, and use it to influence another. So I, I continue to see, I think, more and more uh, happening in that robotics automation and data space, data science space, right? Tying all these pieces together. Um, but we also need uh, good, uh, genuine Iowa people, right? That um, sales, account management, you know, in, in our company, we've built really great and interesting uh, technology but somebody's got to get out there and share that message with other companies around the world and get them excited about it and, and help them through the process of implementing it and things like that. And although we don't typically look at a, a sales job as a, as what you would assume would be a STEM job, right? There very much so is a lot of that in there, right? They have to be domain experts. They have to know how this technology is going to be applied to the customer that they're they're trying to solve problems for. And so even if you're somebody where you're like, hey, I'm not into computer programming. I'm not into, I'm not really good in mathematics. I don't think I could go on to be a data analyst or a data scientist or things like that. There's still a huge amount of opportunity in the, that kind of technical space with uh, even just with selling, being a domain expert on, on technology and, and solving problems for customers. So I don't think we're going to lose all of that kind of stuff to automation. I, uh, maybe maybe there will be robots out there selling too, but I, I don't know that I would want to <laughs> buy from a robot. I, I like buying from other people, right? So, uh, and, and as I mentioned too, we live in a great big world and there are parts of this world that are still so far behind uh, where we are in the United States today, I think there's going to be a lot of global opportunity. And with the United States and Iowa uh, being a leader in this space and really setting the world pace for this kind of stuff, I can see countries around the world that are looking to try to catch up in the future, really seeking talent from places like, like the U.S. and from Iowa to, to help advance their country. 
Yeah, this is a wonderful recap on the on an early question I asked of you, which is why should people care? And and we're not likely to draw a lot of non-stemmers to these podcasts, but in the event that we do, that's a great sell point that whether you're pursuing sales or journalism or what have you, you're likely going to be selling medical equipment or software or 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 STEM embedded technology. And if you're a journalist, you'll likely be writing about STEM. If you're a politician or sociologist, you're likely studying STEM demographics of some sort. Good point. So let's look at stakeholder groups in terms of this future vision. And this is kind of a challenge question. What are the challenges between now and that future you see? And I mentioned earlier the stakeholders that we represent, policymakers, educators in schools and, and out of school educators, K through 12, collegiate and life skill for that matter, parents and nonprofit leaders and higher education uh, executives. These are the stakeholder groups we represent. They're the stakeholder groups we engage in this process and students themselves. Where, if there is a weak link in this process in terms of producing these future citizens and employees that are ready for this vision you speak of, where have we got to bolster our, our efforts? I think I'm qualified to say this because I'm a parent of two boys that are that are uh, one's about to be nine and the other's six, right? So kindergarten and third grade. Um, but as parents, we're too busy. We're 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 focused on our phones. Um, we're focused on work. The pandemic has made it worse for a lot of us. Yes, we're working from home, but the hours are longer. The communication's longer, and it's hard to draw a line and say I'm now at home. This is family time. Because you're, you're home all day and you're working all day, right? And so I've seen, seen this getting even, even more challenging. Um, and I'm, I'm as guilty as, as you know, many of the other parents out there too. But you, we have to take an active role in helping to foster that curiosity with our children and not letting uh, a computer or an app or a YouTube video be what what tries to do. Those are elements. I'm not saying that we can't have, you know, we can't learn from those things or that they can't be components of something. But if we're not actively taking a role in fostering that curiosity and asking our children questions, uh, it's one of the, the, the most fun things for me to do is asking my, you know, soon to be nine-year-old, um, you know, what, what are you, what are you working on in school? What do you like about that? And what do you think you could do with that in the future? And what else do you think that applies to? Or, you know, if you were going to invent something new today, what would you invent? You know, and just just ask them questions and watch that curiosity and that thinking happen. There's a lot of things that, unfortunately, I feel like I just don't have the ability to control some of the geopolitical things that we're dealing with between uh, countries that can't get along and leadership that can't get along and um, taxes and tariffs and barriers and, and roadblocks and things like that, that um I, you know, again, I don't know how much somebody like myself, you know, being a, a small startup founder can really influence a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but I know I can influence my children and I can influence their curiosity and, and um, how they spend their time at home. And we just have to take the initiative to unplug and give ourselves permission to do that. And it, and it can be hard to do because we tell ourselves, well, we're doing all of this for their betterment, right? We're working so hard so that their future is going to be better. But, but what about their present? You know, we're forgetting about that. The greatest gift, time. Uh, and speaking of time and its gift, Gabe, we're grateful for that comment and your time here. So 
those are the challenge. The challenge is making the time to be present and to cultivate that sense of curiosity and wonder. And um, then there, there must be a converse side of this question. That's the challenge we face. What do you see as one of the most inspiring opportunities ahead that is enabling an adaptation for um, uh, a, a bright future, uh, something that's giving you confidence that we're getting this right? It's so funny because we tend to focus on the problems, right? Because uh, that's what's where our attention goes. I'm seeing so many things happening, I think, and even just in our, our city's uh, programs here in Ankeny, uh, some of the STEM-focused stuff that they're doing. Uh, we just got the flyer in the mail about the winter and fall programs, right? And it's it's coding. Uh, it's creating a new, uh, you know, a new computer game and some of the stuff. Uh, there's just so many more opportunities. And in a way that kind of goes back to the, the previous comments about parenting. And uh, I think sometimes parents feel like they have to have all the answers or be the expert in it. But the nice thing is through STEM and, and the resources available through the STEM council. And if you go on the website, there's a, there's a, a million resources on there. Like pick something, you know, just pick something off of there and do it. You don't have to be an expert in it. There's everything you need to know. Um, and I feel like uh, one of the things that really gives me uh, encouragement is I'm seeing a lot of resiliency in my own children and dealing with the things that we're dealing with and embracing technology to, to do the remote learning and things like that. Um, I feel like they're just mature beyond their years already. And we're, we're seeing that in classrooms all across the, the country, right? Um, but but I, I think that, it makes me realize that, you know, kids, I think, sometimes know more, understand more, and are a little bit ahead of where we as parents sometimes think they are. And they seem to be doing a pretty good job through all of this. Oh, I'm sure that comment will resonate with listeners. We're seeing maturity beyond their years, some of it uh, foisted by systems and dynamics that are uh, were not present when we were kids. We were enabled to have a much longer childhood than maybe today's kids. That's, that uh, citation of Ankeny is so true. You have one of 65 models statewide of a school business partnership launched by our STEM council. They're called STEM Best Business Engaging Students and Teachers. Ankeny's, I believe, is called Orbis, and it is really flipping what we thought we knew about education to be much more collaborative across disciplinary boundaries and across walls, literally school walls, to community businesses and so on. So kudos to Ankeny. And I think your kids are in for a bright educational future there, as are so many across the state. Yeah. Well, wrapping up, you mentioned your children's resiliency as a source of inspiration. So I want to revisit that concept of inspiration once more. You have done some inspiring things with your life so far. We can't wait to see where you go from here. What's your source? What's your sink of uh, creativity, inspiration, creativity? Where do you draw your energy and your optimism from? Uh, uh, easy answer for me, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, blessed, uh, blessed me with, with uh, abilities, gifts, and, and talents that I'm tasked with finding a way to, to give back um, you know, to, to his creation. And blessed me with a wonderful wife who puts up with the, and has a lot of patience with the, the person, <laughs> you know, that's that's trying to be the startup founder and kind of always going a, a million different directions, uh, supportive family around all of that as well. And um, 
And so for me, it's, it's easy to just uh, be grateful and thankful uh, for the journey and, and the opportunity to be a part of this experience uh, that he's blessed me with. Well, we are grateful that the creator put you in our lives. Gabe Glenn, founder and CEO of Make You Safe and member of the Governor's STEM Advisory Council and so much more. Thank you for sharing your compelling vision for STEM jobs of the future with Iowans and our partners across the country. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. This has been our final episode of Series 2 for STEM Essential, podcasts featuring the voices of edunomic innovation brought to you by the Iowa Governor's STEM Advisory Council. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Principal Financial for sponsoring this series. Today's and all STEM Essential podcasts are available at iowastem.gov forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to STEM Essential. This podcast is generously co-sponsored by Collins Aerospace and Mid-American Energy, proud partners of Iowa STEM Council. To learn more and find resources, please visit iowastem.gov.